travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Food is one of the top reasons that people travel. Some people travel specifically to eat the cuisine of a particular destination, while others are just eager to try a new type of food while exploring an exotic land. Today we're going to chat with the team at Lost Plate Food Tours about designing food tours and the different types of cuisine available in the destinations they serve. I'm Trevor Ranges in Phnom Penh, Cambodia for Talk Travel Asia with my trusty co-host. Hey, this is Scott Coates in Bangkok, Thailand, as almost all the time I am here. And uh, it's kind of surprising we haven't done food tours yet. And we always kind of think we're going to run out of ideas. And here we are on seemingly a very mainstream topic. But yeah, I'm, 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 looking, I'm looking forward to this one. How about you, Trevor? Yeah, I mean, we were recently together in Bangkok and we went out for some great Thai food together. And uh, I think we're both kind of lucky. Again, this is Talk Travel Asia. We don't even need to travel to get great Asian cuisine. Um, Thailand has some amazing local cuisine. Uh, it's also got great food from all over the world. Um, we ate together at Polo Fried Chicken, which is a great place to, to get some great Thai food. And uh, yeah, I just think uh, it, it seems like such an obvious uh, topic to talk about food. But uh, food tours, I think, is a good one because uh, people do travel specifically in order to eat food. You're absolutely right. And I'm a little biased because I've lived here so long. But I think Bangkok really must be one of the best places in the world to eat for a few reasons. The variety and cost. I mean, you can have truly a really great meal for 50 cents U.S. or a world-class high-end meal and absolutely everything in between. I mean, for me, I really like, I think, the simple food the best, uh, but I also relish in a great dim sum or some duck noodles or a great barbecue, and you can kind of get it all here. You know, that said, I, there's a place that I've been dying to eat, and uh, the late Anthony Bourdain had a Parts Unknown show about the Bronx, and they showed how within one block... There was almost every conceivable cuisine. So, man, I would love to travel to the Bronx, of all places, for food. So, man, yeah, food is just such a, a great reason to travel, don't you think? Yeah, but, you know, like, I never really do it specifically to travel. I mean, like, I go through Thai food withdrawals, and, and I might have probably made some trips back to Bangkok just to eat with, like, some other excuse for actually going there. Um, and, of course, I've traveled all over Asia. Like, Korea has amazing food, and, and Laos has an interesting food, and Myanmar has such different food. Uh, but I don't know that I've ever gone anywhere just to go and eat. Although, I think I do a bit of research before sometimes like you know when I travel to Japan uh, Japanese food is amazing um, but mm -hmm. you know like I, I don't necessarily just want to stumble around the streets wasting my time trying to find something so I'll do a little bit of research um, before right. I go to a destination to try and find some areas or some restaurants or, or some dishes that I might want to try but I've never actually done a food tour how about you uh, you know what? I haven't done many. F I've done a few, actually, and strangely. Yeah, for work, but uh, have you ever really uh, gone on? Eh. You know what? I just did this past uh, end of August. My father and I did a three-country trip, and when we were in Georgia, we I paid the price for a private trip for my dad and I, 
And this woman took us around Tbilisi and she took us mm. to a market. She took us for some organic wines, uh, some snacks, and then we ended at her restaurant. So, yeah, I actually, you know, six months ago did one that was focused on that. And it was pretty darn fun. Okay, there you go. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I think if I went to country, I've been to India, but if I went back to India, Mexico, you said Japan or Italy, like those are the standout kind of food countries to me. Vietnam's emerging in that. So so let me ask you, Trevor, you're, you're heading to a country. How do you decide where you're going to eat before you go there? Yeah, you know, I mean, again, when, when I was a travel writer, you know, I, I, I don't like the way I do my research because I don't want to be necessarily biased or opinion like I don't want like to get too much information from sources that might jade me so I've always found that like people are the best resource so you know like if, if I know someone who lives there I know someone who's originally from that destination I usually try to get get information directly from people who, who know and that's kind of cool why we're doing our show tonight because we have people who are like professional food tour designers so it seems like those are the kind of people that you want to reach out to to help you find the best yeah, food. I probably use three that most people kind of use. One that you just mentioned, like think of everyone I know that's been there or lives there, ask them. I will open a Lonely Planet for those sure bets because they generally have a few places that are kind of known, but like pretty good. And then I'll just do some online searches and I'll kind of note the ones that keep popping up throughout those searches. And then the last way is just walk around. And if there's lots of people local sitting there, hey, stroll in and, and have a go. Yeah. Well, before we get into this thing, uh, we just want to remind everybody that Trevor and I do this for fun. We pay for it ourselves. There are costs and we greatly appreciate your financial support. If you would like to help, go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and you can start the sponsorship from just $1 a month and up. There's all kinds of levels uh, right up to the $25 a month. Big kahuna. We'll give you a shout out tell a story about you and send you a postcard from here. And you know what? If you throw down $100, we'll talk about you on the show. We'll send you a special gift from here. And just want to give a quick shout out to Stephanie Rowe, who's a longtime sponsor. Thank you, Stephanie. And thank you to everybody else who sponsors and to those of you that are about to go and do it. Anyway, before we bring our guests in, uh, a little bit about food tours. As uh, Although I mentioned that I haven't been on many, I actually have designed a few myself. And uh, it can be pretty challenging to put these together. So I think uh, our guests deserve a bit of respect. You know, I was working on a street food tour here in Phnom Penh, and it took me a good year and several test tours with various test tourists um, before I got it down just right. And it's not just about selecting the right food venues. It's about the timing and the pace and how do you get from one place to the next and what are you going to order at each one and the pricing. Um, so it's not just about the great food. It's about the atmosphere. It's about the story. It's about the experience that you can get, you know. So I think there's a lot of elements that go into it uh, that people don't really appreciate when they go on a seamless food tour. Yeah, I've I've been on a few and, you know, the more I think about it, I've designed a number in, across Thailand and I've kind of co-designed a few in Cambodia in my former life and in Nepal a bit you need a mix you don't want to get people too full too quickly so you want to kind of start with some small bites at the at the beginning and easier things to stomach those not so wild dishes then kind of mid later way you can have a couple adventurous dishes that not everyone are going to eat and they can pass on because they've already had some food and you want to definitely have a good number in there where people 
definitely realized quickly, like I would not have found this on my own or I wouldn't know how to order and make it happen. And in the odd case, maybe the last place is somewhere where you're going to have kind of a larger dish, kind of the smaller but proper meal and some booze along the way. So when I think of some really fun uh, trips I've done, I mean, I've done a couple with Vespa Adventures in Phnom Penh and Ho Chi Minh City, and I've done Vespa Valley in Kathmandu. Uh, Nepal was really good because they went into a number of small little local snack shops that even after I'd been there 10 times to Nepal, I wouldn't have found or gone into my uh, on my own. So yeah, it can be a great way to do it. Well, why don't we get into it, Trevor? Today's guests are part of the team that operates Lost Plate Food Tours, a specialized company that focuses on introducing local foods to foreign visitors. They have been running trips since 2014 and now offer tours in Beijing, Chengdu, Shanghai, and Jian, China, as well as Siem Reap and Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and Portland, Oregon. Brian Berge is co-founder and CEO of Lost Plate. He's from Oregon and now lives in Beijing via London, Singapore, and Xi'an. Liana Payne is a food tour designer, resident food nerd, and operations manager for Lost Plate Food Tours Cambodia. She is based here in Phnom Penh, where she grew up and currently resides, splitting her time between here and Siem Reap, where the other Lost Plate Food Tours are offered in Cambodia. Welcome to the show, Liana and Brian. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Hanging out. Cool. So we have Trevor and Liana in Phnom Penh. We have Brian in Beijing, and I'm in Bangkok. Uh, let's start with the the kind of foundation stuff. How and when did Lost Plate start? Tell us a little bit about the story. So yeah, my uh, my wife and I actually moved to Xi'an back in 2017. I was working for a, a software company at the time, and we had had some ideas about doing something in tourism. Um, and as a foreigner in, in China specifically, it uh, became pretty apparent that it was difficult for a native English speaker who doesn't speak great Chinese to uh, find, find good local food, um, especially as the language barrier is quite high there. So um, it kind of became just a, a, you know evolving idea of tourism into what happened to be food tours, um, what ended up being tuk-tuk food tours. And by, yeah, by within a couple months, we ended up uh, kind of having a route to find and t- started taking customers around and testing it out and the rest is history. So, so Brian, are, is your wife Chinese or were either of you local or? Uh, I, she is Chinese, she's from Chengdu originally. Okay, all right, I was, I was wondering if there was kind of a local insider connection there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other thing I was curious about straight away was were either you, Brian, or Liana, uh, professional F&B people. Do you have any background in F&B prior to, to doing these food tours? I did not, no. At our first interview or whatever, you were asking me if I've ever led a tour before. And I think I said not professionally. Because a lot of people come here and they want to, I think there's a big question on what Cambodian food is and kind of just taking people around and family when they visit mm. and stuff to show them what things are like. But never at a professional capacity for me before Lost Plate. Mm. And, and sorry to jump in with one more basic one, but uh, Brian and Leanna, where are you both originally from? I'm originally from Portland, Oregon. Um, yeah, and have, have lived outside of the States for about 12 years now. Right, right. And Leanna? Uh, I'm half American, half Filipino, but I grew up here in Phnom Penh. So I've been here for about 23, 23 years now. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, Leanna, we understand you're kind of the, the food designer, so you might want to feel this one. Like, how do you go about designing a food tour? Like, for example, what are the types of restaurants or stalls that you think people would like? Tell us your approach. Um, so, 
firstly, Lost Plate has a pretty clear-cut model, um, and everyone loves it. It kind of works, uh, which is basically four restaurants and a bar for the dinner tours. Um, and so that's just the basic structure. Usually we try to get transport, unlimited beer, unlimited food. Um, and every single place you have to vet for just you know having really good food, really cool stories behind the chefs. And then also the history of these restaurants or different time periods that you're sourcing these dishes from. Um, so there's a lot of different boxes to fill in. Um, and there's not, so uh, I guess when we're looking at a tour, it's always got to, it always has to be food forward. We do like these holes in the wall kind of places. Usually when you go to a city, the best food isn't always going to be in the three Michelin star places. It's usually grandma, hole in the wall kind of stuff. Um, so you just sort of, uh, I mean, here in Phnom Penh, it was easier because I grew up here. But in places like Siem Reap, where I don't have a lot of, uh, I don't know, time there, it was mostly just eating a lot every single day, um, meeting the chefs, asking what they like to eat, where they like to go, and then just kind of following that rabbit hole until you find the top 1% of food there. Um, and then usually when you <laughs> find a really good dish, there is always a really good story behind that chef. And there's always going to be a really good history there. So if you find something amazing, everything else will generally fall into place. So just to wrap my head around this, are, is this a, is there a focus on like street stalls or is it kind of like a sit down? And do you just have like the one signature dish at a place? Um, it depends. So always food forward. Um, so it, once you start to, you know, find these dishes that you can't stop thinking about, then you begin to find the narrative and the theme and the tone of a tour. Um, so in Phnom Penh, a lot of the people that are coming through here are here to sort of go to the Genocide Museum, see the killing fields, and then go see some ruins up in Siem Reap. And as someone that's you know grown up here, I really think that there's a lot of better stories to tell beyond a tragedy and a ruin. So our Phnom Penh tour, we eat our way through history and we sort of jump around these things. So we start in the 5th century and then we go to the 13th century and we use different dishes to sort of have a chronological history lesson through all these different neighborhoods and with all these really cool families that are starting to do very cool things in their communities. Um, and in Siem Reap, it's more of a modern history because you go there and it's very comfortable and it's very easy to be a tourist. Um, but, I mean, the Civil War ends in 1998 you know, like there was a lot of houses on stilts and, and the CIA were there. And there was a lot of crazy stuff until very, very recently. So we actually work with a lot of families there and we talk about their experiences um, back when it was a super highway for narcotics and uh, the Vietnamese occupation and things like that. And what that and then what it took to bring these dishes to the table when we when we show up on tour. Yeah, that's quite interesting. And that kind of leads me into our next question, because uh, it seems cool that you would get from a tour like this a little bit of history. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a writer, so I think storytelling is really important to make connections with people. But maybe, Brian, you can field this one. What do you think? Uh, other than like the history and the stories or the benefits of joining a food tour rather than just exploring a city's food scene on one's own. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think everyone can relate to each other through food, right? I mean, it's something that's unique in every place that you travel. Um, and it's, it's a way to see and experience real local life. Uh, you can, you know, you find these places that we find for people where, where you won't find other tourists. 
Uh, and so you're really kind of able to take in uh, what what locals do, how they act, what you know, how they how they sit, what they eat, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you're you're literally shoulder to shoulder with them. Uh, so it, it you know it kind of gives you like a real life look. I think at what um, what's going on in a, in a city. You know, beyond the, the the temples and the ruins, for example. Okay, Brian, I'm going to throw this one at you as well. I've been to Beijing, and then some of the autonomous territories, but. How is the food scene different among kind of the four cities in China where you offer food? Yeah, so that's a really interesting thing here. Kind of like, kind of like Leanna said, like people come with maybe preconceptions or or things that that, that they have planned, um, and then when they arrive, they kind of haven't really thought through like how things changed as you travel through each region. And, and China being so big, that's very apparent. Mm. Um, so yeah. you know, we. A lot of the storytelling that goes into our narrative um, on the China tours is really talking about how the cuisine is different around different regions. So it's things like um, in the north, people eat noodles and and dough based uh, staple foods like like breads. And okay. in the south, people eat rice because it's it's more humid and it's wet ah. and, and they can grow it easier. Um, hmm. You know, you go to a place like Xi'an in like the northwest of China, and it has a very strong like Silk Road and, and Muslim influence. So you're getting things like chilies and cumin and these spices that are quite unique um, compared to, you know, to the rest. And then you go somewhere like um, in the south, maybe like Shanghai, and you get things that are maybe more um, sweet uh, or more, um, you know, sour and vinegary. Uh, so, the, so the flavors and, and the ingredients really do change uh, in each in each place, and we and we do highlight that. And we focus, you know, one of the special things we try to do is is always focus on foods that are only from that city or only from that region. So, if people are joining different tours in different cities, they can really tell the difference. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and you know, I've only been to China once and we traveled into some more remote areas. And the big challenge for me was just that uh, I couldn't read the menu. I couldn't speak any Chinese. No one could speak any English. And so for me, it was really challenging just because I had to like look around and, and point at what other people were eating, you know. So uh, and, and then I think uh, Leanna brought up a good point, too, of just kind of, you know, selecting like the, a really good dish or a dish that has a story behind it but um maybe you know what like cambodia is challenging as well but i think uh, maybe for either of you what do you think are some of the challenges for people trying to dine on their own you know i guess it's sort of a rephrase of that question like why is a food tour better um you know but like there are challenges to doing it yourself in, in some of these areas don't you think um yeah sure uh we do have I mean, sometimes it's just people that are traveling by themselves and it's just kind of great to, you know, hang out with people that are like minded and there's plenty of beer and plenty of food and you don't have to sit by yourself, especially on longer trips and things like that. And there's also just in Asia, there's a culture where we don't have a lot of allergies or dietary restrictions. Um, in some languages, we don't have a word for vegetarian or vegan, for example. For a lot, a lot of our guests kind of come to us because they do have you know, allergies or certain restrictions, and they want to be able to enjoy local food without having to worry about translation and things getting lost there. Or, or even things just like um, if you have a sensitive stomach and you might be a little bit more worried about food poisoning, for example. 
So they do come to us for not just getting a local experience, but also finding the, the correct substitutes and restaurants that will cater to their, their diets. Yeah, also, I mean, as Scott and I have lived in Asia for a long time, it's common in Southeast Asia to dine family style. So if you, you know, when you go out to eat by yourself, it's more difficult just to order one dish, maybe two dishes. But if you go out with a group, then you get to sample more different foods. Is it, is it like that in China as well, uh, Brian? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's definitely a benefit as well as, you know, if you're joining a tour with, you know, five, eight, ten people, you're going to get to try, try a lot more. And I think also, you know, to your previous point, especially in Cambodia, you know, if you're a tourist, you're going to be suckered into going to the main areas like Pub Street and Siem Reap or, or Riverside and, and Phnom Penh. And all of these restaurants offer essentially the same exact menu that's five pages long, that offers the same exact dishes. And most of them are created, you know, because they've learned over time what, what terrorists want. And it's probably things like pad thai or, you know, green curry or things that aren't even really Cambodian um, to begin with. Uh, so, you know, we, we kind of allow you to take a step back from that because a lot of people don't even know that that's not real local food or authentic local food and, and give them that, that opportunity to like, you know, experience something different. Yeah, you ask a, ask a Cambodian person sure. the last time they had a mock and most of them have to really think about it. But that's probably the number one dish that's sort of put out there. It's not always that accurate. So I understand that you guys only hire local food guides. So what are the benefits of having a, a local mm. guide take you on a food tour? Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely true. Um, we always we always hire local local guides um, from from the specific area, and I think you know I mean there's there's plenty of not just food tours but other tours out there that have different perspectives, right? And and a lot of people a lot of them will focus on expats or or something like that. And I think that having that local guide really creates that connection. Um, it's you, you can say things like, you know, this is something my grandma made for me when I was little and I always have this memory. Or this is a place that I've been coming to for 20 years. Um, and I remember my, my parents bringing me here when I, you know, when I was a child. So like those stories really bring that connection and I think that credibility to what we're introducing people to. Um, and then, you know, naturally it just allows them to kind of give a different set of recommendations and, and, and questions and answers that, that people might normally be asking for. Um, so just, you know, more than just the, the higher level, maybe foreigner or expat perspective. Okay, I was a co-owner of a kind of high-end travel company uh, for many, many years. And one of the most difficult things I always found is like, okay, it's fine for the two of you to be able to share the captivating story, but how do you guys train the local host to be able to do that in a compelling way. Yeah, it's it's uh it's probably the hardest thing, right? I mean, hiring good people, finding good people, finding trainable people who are interested in learning is is tough. I mean, one of the things that we really always try and do is encourage them to add their own spin on it as well. So yes, we do train them. And, and like Leanna said earlier, we do kind of have this model of not only what a tour is, but what you should be talking about um, and what the narrative should be throughout the tour. Um, but you know, we really encourage those stories of, of those things like, yes, my parents brought me here when I was little uh, and, those, and those types of things. Um, but we, we spend a lot of time um, training. Uh, we, we make sure they're good to go and ready to go before they leave the first tour. Uh, and you know, I'm kind of the, the software nerd. So, so we use a lot of customer feedback and, and data to understand how our tours are doing, how our guides are doing and, um, you know, making adjustments and giving those guides feedback so they can always improve. Hey, you know, uh, you, you mentioned it earlier, Brian, about how, 
you know, like people tend to go to the touristy areas and then they try and find food from there. And, and it is more challenging maybe in Siem Reap, which is a very, very touristy town. Um, but I think Phnom Penh is also challenging because it's a big city and people don't necessarily know where to go. Hey, Brian, do you think you could share a couple of must-try spots that aren't on your tours uh, for listeners who, of course, now we're going to recommend that people do food tours with you, but do you ever, maybe, how about this, do you ever, like, have, like, a favorite spot that you don't want to put on a food tour because you don't want too many people to learn about it? <laughs> it's actually a really good question. I mean, normally, so we, we definitely compile a lot of recommendations for people in every city that we have, um, you know, and I think it's important for us to be able to, to help customers with that. And, and even if they decide not to do a food tour, I think, you know, overall our goal is, is for people to walk away from a city thinking, yeah, I had some really good food there. So yeah, I mean, we do, we do have recommendations. Normally we have the opposite. Well, yeah, normally I guess we kind of have that problem where we're, we're picking small, um, you know, family run places that aren't too popular. Uh, we've had many times, I would say a handful of times where, you know, over time, just because of the fact that maybe expats are coming along on tours and, and word of mouth kind of spreads around that those places end up being places that don't really work for a tour anymore because you show up and you see previous customers there um, and most of them are foreigners and not locals anymore. Um, or, you know, for whatever reason, you know, we they're new when we start joining and, um, you know, they they obviously serve good food because we, we chose them and, and you know, it kind of grows locally as well. Uh, and it gets to a point where we can't get a table anymore or um, there, you know, we can't get fast service and it doesn't really work for the tour. So, though, I mean, those types of things definitely happen. Right. So I tell you what, after the show, you give us the name of a few places and we'll put it on our show notes at www.talktravelasia.com. We have show notes that'll have links to Lost Plate Tours and any other information that, that Brian and Liana want to share with our listeners. And uh, hopefully we'll have a few tips of secret spots on there from brian yeah that sounds perfect and some good like local style spirits or drinks as well now looking through your your website and i I see that you also kind of have drinking tours but also beverages seem to play a role so how do you incorporate beverages into these programs without getting everyone so smashed that they don't care at all about the food yeah i mean I, i guess to like blatantly answer your question fortunately the uh the beer in asia in general is not too strong so (laughs) it's a little bit hard to get super smashed uh but yes we do uh, drinking is is quite um a big part of the tours obviously we we always focus on food um but you know uh drunk people are happy people and we we do um you know we do encourage people to have a good time so what we do typically is um like liana said earlier we do offer unlimited beer we'll put cases or coolers of, of beer on each tuk-tuk along with soda and water um for those who prefer not to drink and um and yeah we just offer that throughout the tour so people can bring it into the restaurants they can drink it on the tuk-tuk rides might want to stick around after a tour um, especially if they had a good time with the people that they joined so it gives them some flexibility on not having to worry about what to do with the rest of their night they can kind of stay there and then hang out okay well you know maybe that sort of answers my next question since we're talking about beer and breweries you know i live in cambodia so i could understand why visitors would appreciate having someone show them where to eat and having been to china and having the difficulties of even ordering food in china but you have food tours in portland and and you're from oregon but like what makes a food tour in Portland, Oregon so special that people couldn't just go out and find good food on their own? You know, that's a great question. And 
you know, for us, it, it's our newest location and it was a chance for us to try our model somewhere very different to see how it would apply and how it would work. Um, and it's gone surprisingly well. Um, personally, I, I am a little bit confused by it because I think you're right. People can just kind of go out and research themselves and find, and find it. But I think a lot of what it is, is just people are traveling and they don't, it doesn't really matter where you travel, whether, whether they speak English and you're familiar with it or not, you just get lost in the research. You know, what, what is the best food really? How do I really know that I'm not going to miss out on something? Um, and, and maybe it's how can I try a lot of different food in one night? Um, you know, the, our food tour in Portland, for example, is a, enough restaurants and enough food that it would take a couple a couple days, you know, to go to all those restaurants and try all that stuff. Um, so I think I think, you know, those are a lot of the benefits. And, and I also think um, just differentiating products um, across, you know, what other people are doing. Um, evening food tours in the U.S. are not very common. Um, including alcohol and food tours are not very common. So I think things like that really interest people. That's that's cool. You know, and, and what you're saying is I was a bartender all through university and I always used to say to our team, like we're in the entertainment business, we're not in the bar business. And you're saying the same thing about these trips, right? People just show up. They just want to have fun, right? They want someone to entertain them. Um, and you know, I was looking at your Portland trips. I see food pods. What is a food pod? I know what a food truck is. What's a food pod? Yeah, this is the crazy thing. So this is, this is the big new thing in, in Portland, and I think a few different cities, maybe Austin or something, where you basically have a, like a management company buy a piece of land and bring a bunch of food trucks onto onto it. And then, and then the management company also builds maybe like a covered seating area. A lot of them have like outdoor fireplaces. Um, there's usually one or two carts that, that do serve beer and or, or cocktails. And so you can basically, it's, it's basically like going to a restaurant, uh, but it's all food trucks. And it works really well in Portland because obviously it's, it's raining a lot. It's miserable in the winter. Um, and this makes, I mean, this allows food trucks to kind of like have that business and people are a little bit more comfortable and warm and dry. That's pretty cool. Hey, so we're getting towards uh, the end of the show and we'd like to wrap up with doing a bit of rapid fire questions. So we're just going to shoot some questions at you and just uh, fire back some answers. So we'll start with uh, what are a couple of your all time favorite things to eat? Uh, what are they and where? Well, I'm American, so I gotta say burgers. Um, but in China, I really enjoy biang uh, biang mian, which is like um, thick stretch noodles from Xi'an. Um, and I'm also a big dumpling guy, so xiaolongbao soup noodles from Shanghai. Some of my favorites. Next one, standout spirit, beer, and or drink. I'm definitely beer. Okay, what kind of beer and where? Uh, <laughs> okay, so beer, I would say Portland. Best craft beer destination in the in the world. Yeah, um, and a nice hoppy IPA. Okay, nice, Leanna. Well, usually, so I usually just drink bourbon soda, but recently I've been getting into gin a little bit more. So there's a really cool producer here called Seekers, and it's gin, um, but with all these like the all these really quintessential Southeast Asian flavors: galangal, kaffir lime leaf, lemongrass. Um, which actually tastes really good in alcohol. So I've been sort of falling into that universe a little more recently. Agreed. Good stuff. Okay, next place is your dream food destination. If you could go anywhere in the world on a food tour, where would it be? Genuinely depends on the day you ask me. Um, today, Bavaria. Yesterday probably would have been Japan. I'm going to say Singapore. 
the best of everything. Hmm. Okay, then that segues perfect into this last one. Favorite country or city to eat at? Um, Seoul, I guess. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Good mix <laughs> of street food to like just fun drinking and barbecue. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's a cool little food culture there. Scott's wife's Singaporean, and uh, we've spent some time eating down there. He had some good food. And I lived in Seoul for a while. They got some great late-night drunk street food, that's for sure. Yeah, and they also like to invent new street food all the time. So you don't just have the staples, but you have sort of like these new little trendy things popping up all the time. So do you think we could, do you think we could find a Lost Plate food tour in, in Korea or Italy anytime soon? <laughs> you never know. All right, so how can people learn more about Lost Plate food tours? Yeah, check out, you can check out our website, uh, lostplate.com. All of our tour information, uh, as well as online booking and reservation, is available there. And uh, you can shoot us a message or contact us through, an, um, through by email, phone, and social media. We're, we're in all the normal places. Yep, and again, as usual, everybody can go to talktravelasia.com, and we'll have show notes for the episode with links to their website, uh, links to any other food-related porn that they care to share with us, um, and maybe some uh, secret tips and favorite places to eat in China and or Cambodia. Sweet. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, guys. That was uh, a real nice chat. It was a pleasure. Really, really, really good to meet you guys. Wow. So that, that was some great stuff. Yeah. You know, having been a guy that designed a lot of trips myself and owned a tour company, I love the way they talked to what they're doing. You know, they, they, to me, they, they had all the language and the stories and the relationships and like, they really got me excited about not only going on one of their trips, but just about food and travel. Like, yeah, they nailed it, man. Like the, the, the stories, the history and all that combined. And it's a real uniter. Food does unite people when traveling. Yeah. And, you know, again, like uh, here in Phnom Penh, which can be a challenging place for visitors to, to find some good food. I actually did the Lost Plate, one of the Lost Plate food tours when they first launched here in Cambodia. And uh, I think they've redesigned that one, which, which again is kind of cool because then you could go on, on a tour, you know, every year or so. And maybe it's a, a different experience each time but they took me to this one restaurant where they served it was a Battambang restaurant so Battambang is a, a city uh, out towards the Thai border mm -hmm. in uh, western Cambodia and they had a, a Battambang fish restaurant and it, it was fish from Battambang oh, wow. that they, they transport down every day and they make fresh every day and it's like I, you know I didn't I, I've been to Battambang a number of times and I've never even had the food while I was there so it was so cool to, to have the opportunity to experience a restaurant like that and as they were saying like you know, finding a, an interesting dish that's made by an interesting person that has a story behind it um, and, and presented to you by a local guide who has this interesting insight on, on his or her culture um, is just a great way to experience a city and, and, and its culture. Yeah, and one of the neat things about food tours is you, you kind of have to eat three times a day, right? Or you're supposed to. So if you have to eat anyway, then it's just a great vehicle to get yourself out and also do something because whether you're doing a food tour or an architectural tour or a Vespa tour, I mean, you inevitably end up kind of crossing with other things, right? Seeing some sites, meeting some people, having a drink. And so it's just a great way to do something you have to do anyway, but meet some people and, and get the best stuff you're going to get along the way. And and I think just some of my favorite memories traveling, you know, it, it often tends to be food, right? You think of that great dish you had somewhere, that local owner you met that you chatted with for a little while. So, uh, yeah, I mean, food tours are, I think, where it's at. And there's all kinds of them for all budgets out there. And, and I'll kind of tip my hat to Lost Plate, just the way they spoke about it, like legit. I'm, I'm quite interested in what they do. 
Yeah, so if our listeners are also interested, they can go to our website, TalkTravelAsia.com. As we mentioned earlier, we'll have links to the Lost Plate website. We'll have links to some of Brian's secret restaurants and favorite dishes. And uh, maybe we'll put together a little Google map so you know about the cities that uh, they service uh, in Cambodia and in China. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much for listening to us here at TalkTravelAsia.com. Remember, please help us keep things going. Donate a wee bit of cash. Sponsorship starts from a dollar an episode upwards. Go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and we'll be back in two weeks with another exciting, fantastic episode. So until then, this is Scott Coates in Bangkok, Thailand, saying adios, mahalo, <laughs> aloha. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall in Port Tom and Cambodia? 